Cole Cabana's on AEW Unrestricted. I've always been a person who impresses people over time. Like, that's always been my theory. I'm always a slow burn. That should have been my name. Slow burn Cole Cabana. <laughs> so join me and Tony Schiavone for AEW Unrestricted, powered by State Farm. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sergio Dest, and you're listening to BR Football Ring. Gentlemen, this is BR Football Ranks, the preeminent podcast of princes and paupers, football's finest phonic feast, the soaring, sensational serialization of singing soccer song. My name is Jack Collins, the ball game bard, and I am joined, thankfully, given the post-apocalyptic state that we are entering by the twin pillars that the rank squad is built on. First up, the ruler of the rumours, a tycoon of transfers, Melon Maestro, Steen Jones. Still alive. Still here. Just about, eh? Just about. And of course, the oligarch of order, the rank god himself, Mr. Sam Tai. Still here, baby. Can't get me down. Just about. How are we? Apart from being alive. It's subpar, actually. You've got a cough, sore throat. I've got a <laughs> chest pains. That's why today's pod is behind closed doors. Yeah, exactly. Today's pod is behind closed doors. I just want to dedicate this podcast to any of our listeners stuck inside in Italy, especially Luca Maltatsu, who I was talking to last night. Hope this helps to allay some of the boredom <laughs> and that you stay safe out there. That last bit goes out to any of the ranks squad wherever you are we don't know how these next few weeks are going to go but we will do our very best to keep these podcasts coming at you no matter what happens after the first segment we're going to be joined by a returning member of the rank squad the inimitable Miguel Delaney, chief football writer at The Independent, to talk the brand new Premier League Hall of Fame and who should be getting a space but before that it's time for Melon of the Week the returning, we forgot it last week, mate. And I, you I forgot did, it. Yeah, you <laughs> we didn't forget it. Yeah, I forgot it. Um, <laughs> had a few titles. Had a few messages about it, and I thought I can't let the rank squad down again. And luckily, there was a standout contender um, who did have a late, late <laughs> contender when Pepe Reina came charging out of his goal for Aston Villa like he'd forgotten something and left it in the changing room <laughs> um, while Leicester were on the attack. <laughs> but the melon of the week. Is oh hang on you haven't done the, the voice no what it's time for Melon of the week there we are thank you this week's Melon of the week is Edison yeah fair enough I mean it's Edison yeah, isn't it I mean yeah I saw it and I was like oh that's handy that's that done um, <laughs> <laughs> because that man has produced one of the blunders of the season hasn't he and it's in a game like that a Manchester derby a game you need something from for pride if nothing else. I mean, he's obviously not going to catch Liverpool anymore, but he's been so good this season, Edison. Um, and now it's all forgotten because he's passed to Scott McTominay, oh. who scored. Do you know what? Really good finish, by the way. Yeah, to I score, agree. To score like also, that is... I think in the like madness of the last minute and what he did, we forgot that he should have just saved the goal. The yeah. first goal. <laughs> You'll be like, uh, but I, yeah. so, as I said before many times, I don't like giving men of the week to goalkeepers. They really have to do something really melonish to get it and that's it that's exactly Throwing the definition the of it with your half your goal open yeah also uh, like i hate this but it's like the dying seconds of the game it was like 95th minute you know over four minutes of extra time yeah get the, and you have the ability to launch cannons from your boot get the ball in the opposition box oh man. trafford was buzzing wasn't it, was. it the back loud as i've heard it in a long like long that, time that was seen to be fair when mctominay put it in and celebrated you could see how much that meant to everyone yeah United are coming back. Absolutely. Right, Dean, it is Cheltenham week. 
But yeah. what else should I be betting on happening very, very soon? <laughs> Well, we've just both had a nice little winner on Cheltenham, haven't we, Jack? Yeah, the old horse racing. Have. But um, in terms of football, you'd have all noticed Harry Kane is back training for Tottenham. Nice timing to put this out, wasn't it, in light of uh, the way that they've been playing recently. But it looks like a race against time now for Kane to save Spurs' season, save his bid for the Euros, get a few games under his belt before um, England duty begins in the summer. The thing is... If he is going to stay at Tottenham beyond this season, I think the club need to offer him something very, very special because I don't see much reason for Harry Kane to stay loyal to them any longer. I think at this point, he's entering at the point of his career when the five years between 27 and 32 as a striker, that's, that's your time. That's your prime time, should be. You're about to hit it. Probably around 28, 29 is when you're going to get your most goals. Unless you're Mbappe. <laughs> Unless you're Mbappe. Unless you're Mbappe. Is, is it worth staying at Tottenham any longer? Is he going to win a, Tottenham, a trophy with Tottenham? Now, the big problem for him, from speaking to a few people, is that Tottenham are going to value him at at least £150 million to, if anyone wants to buy him. That's he's, reasonable, to be that fair, fair, given the market. Yeah. He's currently on about £200,000 a week, which is a decent deal that Daniel Levy's given him. And Daniel Levy, as I'm told, feels quite confident that he can keep Kane, that he holds the power in, in any negotiations that they might want to open up. I just think that Kane's really got to think about it now, probably for the first time. I think, what do I need now in my career? Do I, do I stay? Is loyalty enough? I don't think it is. Well, Not if you want to be considered like where Mourinho Premier League Hall of Famer. Next year, isn't it? It's a question of where they're going to be. I mean, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame yeah. a, a little bit later in the podcast. But, you know, something you've got to consider, and I imagine we will consider later on, is how many titles you're going to win, where these goals are going to land you. And at the moment, Tottenham, you know, they've been a brilliant side for quite a lot of years, but they feel like they're in a horrible transition period where, look, the injuries haven't helped. And, yeah. you know, but given where they are and where they're going to be next year... And given the way that Kane's played this season under Mourinho, he's, it's been different for him. And I just wonder, like, are there clubs out there that could get so much more for him just because of the players around him that could offer him opportunities that he's just simply never going to get at Tottenham. I don't know why you guys think he would, he would, he would fit best, but... In, in absence of trophy-winning ability, which is how you would probably mark Tottenham right now, you need to be believing in a project to keep you around. And under Pochettino, he had the project, he had the belief. Nowadays, you can't be sure of that. So I'm kind of with you there. And I think he could play for pretty much anyone. Yeah. Um, like, Bayern Munich don't need him because they have Lewandowski... But if Lewandowski wasn't there, he could play up front for Bayern week in, week out, and he'd be a star. He could play for Barcelona. He could play for Real Madrid. He could eventually replace Benzema. Like, he's that good. Yeah. Well, yeah. As in, the, the question being, he could eventually replace Benzema. Yeah. yeah but so Real Madrid, not this, not this summer. Fine. Well, you think Barcelona, he walks into the side, no? You know, with Suarez on his you know, way down and you know, with the injuries mm-hmm. being suffered yeah. in that way. Look, I love Luis Suarez. And there's a battle nice. coming up between Barcelona and Real Madrid. So I think that's a, it's a good point worth debating because... They're going to be fighting for signings over the next two years to decide who's going to dominate Okay, the next five years, then a decade longer than that. But we've seen how Real Madrid have been trying to grab all this younger talent. They're signing like... They're in a very, very good place. 16, 17 year We talked about it in a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely. But, um, but what about those players that are about to, to hit their very best form, their very best years? You, need, you still need players like that. And Barcelona... 
it's not the worst shout to get one up on Real Madrid, who have liked Harry Kane for a long time, just haven't quite gone through with it. And obviously, they're going to have an eye on Mbappe this summer as well, and they would probably prioritise him yep. over Harry Kane. Might be a nice time for Barca. Can you imagine if, if in the summer, say, Real Madrid picked up Mbappe and in, in, in reply, Barca took Harry Kane? Like... That is going to get me interested in the Classico again. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, there's a lot of fun things in the summer. But it's Sorry, a Spurs very fans. Sorry. Yeah, it, it does feel like this. It's a, it's a big, it's a crunch point, isn't yeah, it? I think he so. either now stays for life. Yeah. Or he I mean, His last goes... contract was a six-year one, but I still never believe that six years means six years, obviously. But at this point, when he's turning 27, you know, you are starting to get towards that 30 point, which everyone kind of sees as the cutoff, and then you're, you're on the downwards uh, slide unless you're Lewandowski, unless <laughs> you're Lewandowski or, or Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Sam, aside from which horse is going to win the Gold Cup later this week, or do I need to know? Well, I can't tell you that, my friend. But I can spin off Dean's news from last week regarding Manchester United's pursuit of Jadon Sancho and how it looks kind of increasingly likely that he's going to leave Dortmund. He's going to cost a hell of a lot of money. That means Dortmund are going to get a lot of money for him, and that means they can they can consider quite a few people, and they've got quite a big pool to choose from and I've done their scouting for them I've done it for free although I will accept payment if they offered it and I've decided that they should buy Moussa Diaby from Bayer Leverkusen to replace Jadon Sancho mm-hmm. should be easy enough they'll be able to afford him with the Sancho money and it's the same number they dialed for Julian Brandt last year so it's probably on speed dial very easy conversation to have <laughs> Diaby has been a magnificent player this calendar year having been eased into Leverkusen's side in the first half of the season. And he's only been at Leverkusen for seven or so months because he joined from PSG in the summer. In a deal that you said was a very bad move for PSG. And a very good one for Leverkusen. And over the course of seven or so months, he has grown into something pretty fierce. I'd like to say that I haven't seen explosivity and dribbling like it, but I have. His name's Adama Traore. But that's where we are in terms of excitement levels. The burst he has, the way he knocks it round you and goes is incredible. Yeah. The speed and the low centre of gravity in the strength. And Diaby has already started to tack on end product in a way that someone like Adama Traore hasn't early on in his career, in a way that someone like Alan San Maximan, who was great at the weekend, amazing to watch, has taken him five years to put something on the end of these dribbles. Diaby's doing it already. He keeps nutmegging people and then chipping keepers. He keeps doing ball rolls in one-on-ones and sliding it past as the keeper dies the wrong way. He looks like he's taking the piss. Like He looks yeah. like he's having so much fun when he plays football. And he makes it look really easy. It's a nice thing to say. Now, this is a 15 million euro deal for Leverkusen last summer. And I've, I've scoured the internet and I've asked as many people as I can. And for the life of me, I can't find any evidence of a buyback clause for PSG. Which is why I was so critical of it to start with. Because it has only taken this much time for that to look like a grave error. Because I think this guy is so good that... If, if PSG still had him and they lost Mbappe, they'd be well within their rights to ask if Diaby is the, re- is the replacement. He is that good. He's that good. Now, he's going to cost a lot of money if he goes, and Leverkusen may not be willing to part with him and Kai Havertz in the same summer, and that would be fair play. So this is by no means a one and done. But Diaby is someone that you guys need to know, you guys need to be aware of. He's made ridiculous strides in the last seven months and he's destined for the top. Absolutely. Well, that's, uh, that's big praise. Also, anyway, we saw Paulinho make his uh, long-awaited Bundesliga bow for mm. Leverkusen at the weekend. Just the, what, two goals and one assist, was it, I think? Not bad, yeah, even yeah, if yeah, they yeah. do happen to lose the RB. They might have a ready-ready replacement in the wings, yeah. so that's nice. Right, something I love this week 
is a bit different. And it's my latest scheme for the Rank Squad. <laughs> it is called Ranks FC. Now, bear with me. You can get involved with it each time it becomes a thing. Ranks FC is a bit like a book club, but for football games to watch. So we're going to pick a game this weekend, and we're going to all watch it, and we're going to live tweet about it using the hashtag RanksFC. And you can get involved on Twitter and have some fun discussions and watch, hopefully, what will be some great games of football. Given I have first pick, I've obviously gone with two things I love. Derbies and Real Betis, which takes (laughs) us to Seville, where El Gran Derby will be happening this Sunday, 8pm UK time, 4pm Eastern, 1pm Pacific. And we will all be online supporting Los Verde Blancos, or I will, and uh, watching some good old action in La Liga. It's also behind closed doors, which is going to be interesting given that it's a derby. There's a lot of derbies this weekend, and loads of them are going uh, behind closed doors. Obviously, the Revier derby in in Germany. There's this. That sucks really, doesn't it? It's very upsetting. Some of the biggest derbies in Europe. This game, yeah, this fixture in particular, like, that's such a waste of that game. I know. know, You'd imagine that the outside scenes will be quite Yeah, I do wonder, like, they're still all going to be mingling just outside instead. We're going to rotate the picks for Ranks FC. So this one is my pick. But that's good. Next, next week it might be Sam's. It might be Dean's. We'd oh, love you. Thing, to get involved. Well, we'll see how it goes. Okay. We'll see if what anyone actually bothers with us. Like, the output is like. But yeah, if you want to get involved, hashtag Ranks FC on Twitter. You can find all of us on there. Get involved. And hopefully we'll be watching some good games and growing the rank squad as we go. I'm going to pick a third division German game when it's come my turn thanks sam right well that is all for the first segment which leads us on to this week's big rankings after the break with miguel delaney of the independent welcome back to br football ranks where it is time for this week's big ranking and we're delighted to welcome back an old friend of the rank squad the only man more controversial online than our very own sam ty <laughs> titan of the twitter sphere chief football writer at the independent miguel delaney no welcome back thank Glad you thank good you. to have yeah. you back yeah. last time we recorded with you miguel this studio was not a studio it was four very tight things around a, around a table and uh, look where we've gone yeah I know <laughs> look it's, we've it's got absolutely to. a beautiful setting you know a hall of fame setting exactly ah. <laughs> there we are well today we are going to be discussing that Premier League hall of fame March 19th the first two inductees and you're going to be talking through your top 10 candidates to join that hall of fame the only rules then in advance for the listeners are they have to be retired mm-hmm. and only their Premier League stats count mm-hmm. so Without further ado, I'll throw it to you and we'll uh, start to roll through. I I, I think that's totally fair. Their Premier League careers only counting. The retirement thing meant they had to take out Ronaldo, Rooney and Aguero. Yeah, they are Premier League. Yeah, exactly. No and also two, actually all three of them pretty much at the end of their careers. Yeah, now. exactly. Like yeah. Ronaldo's never playing in the Premier League. Yeah, exa- exactly. And Gareth Barry. Yeah, yeah, and Gareth Barry, of course. <laughs> uh, so that meant three, three made it in belatedly just when, when I was informed that I had to do that. Uh, and the first of those was uh, Paul Scholes. So at number 10, you got Skulls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think the issue, I mean, really, people won't like to hear this, I suppose, but if you, this list really should be dominated by Manchester United players because they remain the dominant Premier League team, mm-hmm. uh, having won, what, 13 of them. Uh, and Skulls is around for all but two of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only issue with that as well is when you have, when a team is that, or when a club is that good, it also makes the importance of any single player a little less. Yeah. So as exceptional as Skulls was, I mean, that's why he's only 10 in this. And also, there's a fa- I mean, I think he was brilliant when he first came through as a playmaker or a kind of a playmaker come kind of striker in the mid-90s. Then as kind of Keane's alternative partner to Nicky Butt, 
for the late 90s. And people for, people forget about Skulls. We did kind of go missing for about four years. He did. Yeah. Is that because we put him on the left for England? <laughs> uh, maybe it did coincide with that, to be fair. <laughs> I think that people actually, like, Skulls is one of those players that benefits from looking back at his career rather than at the time. At the yeah. time, I don't think he was really appreciated anywhere close yeah, yeah. to how he is now. You saw, I think, that kind of element of the way he changed positions was... You know, kind of crucial because you see him as you know early doors and like a striker, beyond me, like really, really close to striker to the point where when he returned to Man yeah. United that second time round, almost yeah, the big return. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, his case. Like they, he left and then they were they were struggling, and he's like, let's bring Scolzi back in. And like the, and the very great. the very first he game really he good. played back in, it was quality. It was actually a period when Ferguson refused to sign a midfielder as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it was so bizarre. It's um, a weird one, but yeah, there we are. Paul Scholes in ten. We will roll through these first. Okay, maybe a slightly controversial one here at nine. I remember when we did a similar one for the independent. I got I was a bit criticised for this, and especially because I think this player will go in very high, maybe an immediate vote into the Premier League's Hall of Fame. But only at nine for me, Shearer. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, yeah. the Premier League top goals for that. Right? Yeah, the thing about that is, I mean, obviously paramount in this is performance, which Shearer uh, undeniably offered over a long time, but. I think it also has to be about the impact of that performance as well. Yeah. And I mean, I was, actually, I was thinking about it when I was walking up here from, from that perspective that he, he, all right, he, he's, a, he's a hometown legend. I'm sure that's, that's all he wanted. And yet given the talent he had and given the amount of those goals, this is a player that really should have been scoring those goals to decide titles much more regularly. And he bottled it. He should have joined yeah. United. He yeah. did not bottle it. He, did. he went back to his boyhood club. He bottled it, mate. You can't really criticise that. Yes, I, can. I, I can. I can understand the argument that his goals didn't win titles or didn't necessarily yeah. mean as much, but he definitely but didn't bottle it. He won the league at Blackburn, anything. obviously. Is there an element of, you know, that kind of Shearerite-ist to where Harry Kane is? If Harry Kane stays at, yeah. at Tottenham and he, you know, spends the rest of his career kind of playing in, the, in, in a high level, but never necessarily at the very top challenging for titles, are we going to be discussing Harry Kane in 10 years' time in the same vein? That and that's a little, and it's, it's a little bit of a contradiction with Harry Kane. Because if you, if you know everyone you, you talk to about him and the way he talks about himself, he strikes as basically just sort of Cristiano Ronaldo character that does absolutely everything possible to hone his career so he's the ultimate machine to win, except jo- join, a, join a club to win something. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is, there is a similarity there for sure. Yeah, yeah. he's on 136 goals at the moment, Kane. So he's like not really that far outside the top ten. Les Ferdinand mm. on 149. It won't, next season, Kane will enter the top ten of all-time goal scorers. And this this conversation probably will be had over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Who's in at number eight then, Miguel? Number eight, Drogba. Um, I was thinking maybe should, we, should he be a bit higher? Um, maybe, because I've got two Chelsea players ahead of him. Mm. I won't say who yet, but I mean, probably pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look at his influence in comparison to those two, it wasn't quite as... Especially because if, if you actually go back to his first two seasons in the Mourinho... He didn't play or score as much as you, you actually think, even, even though he's pretty much, he would see Mourinho's ideal forward. Uh, he was obviously an important member of the team, but it was only really in 09-10 when he became, um, when he became a proper like t- top-class goal scorer. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. And obviously there was the, the Bayern Champions League game, which is yeah. kind of a, a crowning moment. Well, I guess you, you know, can't count it. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I mean. So when I think of Drogba, I just think of Champions yeah. League. I don't actually... I, I, yeah, I, I, he was a big champion. Like, you were going to say, uh, yeah, Sam, yeah. he was a big game player. But big game player. Was that was most, yeah. For me, those biggest games that I can remember anyway off the top of my head came in the Champions League. Yeah. Well, I think even in the some. FA Cup final and things like that, they're not allowed yeah. to count. Yeah, and exactly, you know, yeah. you talk about this in, in how it sits. I, I mean, I think... You'd won find, four Premier League titles. You'd find few people who are going to disagree with his, you know, inclusion at some point in the hall. I think where you where yeah. where he sits in a list is probably the you know the debate topic here, um, and I guess it comes round to 
you look at Drogba and you look at Shearer and you look and, and again, like Drogba's got four titles, Shearer has one, and Drogba's goals fired him toward fired him and his team towards those titles. So if if that's the kind of crowning factor, that's the debate, I suppose, between between these two. And you know, Shearer's yeah. obviously scored more goals. He you know, put the team on his back maybe a little bit more than Drogba did mm. in mm. terms of that Chelsea team was probably a better all-round team. Mm. But the question then be is, you know, how much does a title count as yeah. opposed to longevity or how much does a, you know, all that's the, the does silverware trump gold? Yeah, I mean, everyone's list will be different. Absolutely, regard, yeah. People will value things very differently, yeah. right? And for, for me, I'm, I'm probably a bit, not mathematical, but a bit uh, more colder about it. And that it's about kind of, Impact uh, or performance and impact, and yeah. and how it translated to achievement, um, which kind of guides a lot of this list. Yeah. 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 Right. Who's next? Next up is one of those Chelsea players, <laughs> John Terry, okay. uh, who will be a controversial one, of course. Um, for, but a lot more. For, that's more outside the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we maybe can just get that. So, but, yeah. another episode. <laughs> yeah. Only measure Premier League. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I, again, I mean, and. There's an argument here about the Premier League's best ever centre half, uh, and whether he should be ahead of people like uh, Vidic, Ferdinand. Uh, and I suppose really maybe what separates Terry from me here is that he really was a, like a prominent, absolutely influential player in what four different title teams? Mm-hmm. Well, three actually, sorry. Um, but one that won it twice, the original Mourinho team, which he, he pretty much was Mourinho's idealised defender. Then the, that the year the, that they, yeah. he won, did he win Player of the Year? Yeah, yeah. And they conceded like one or two goals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> then twenty ten, obviously, when when they were a very different team, and yeah, he still flourished. And then twenty fifteen, uh, and then I suppose he was he was still still there for content. He was still there. Yeah. I mean, still played a role. Yeah, yeah. They, they paid him for half an hour and then subbed him off in the last game, yeah. didn't they? I mean, the, the less said about that, I think, the better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, yeah. but I think maybe even to contextualise that further, you look at Vidic in kind of isolation, you kind of only really think about him as partnering yeah, exactly, Ferdinand. Yeah. Whereas you look at John Terry's partners down the years from, you know, Carvalho and Galas and yeah. you know, all of those Cahill, different yeah. players that did different roles, and Cahill even yeah. towards the end of it. Then and that's where I suppose his longevity and you know his versatility and yeah. has come into come into play. Yeah, I mean you won't see many players like Terry again. Is one thing that he's got on his side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean there are aspects not only in his attitude in terms of loving a football club as much as he did, but the type of leader he was. They don't mm. really exist in the modern game anymore. And not they, like that. They they probably won't come around again. The type of personality he had. He was, yeah. he was kind of a dying breed of player. Yeah, yeah. It? And it's kind of re- really this Terry Butcher style, bloody, no- bloody nose, bloody minded resilience. Yeah. I mean, again, if we, if we look at the incident that's all in our minds, it was the Wayne Bridge incident. But if you even go back to the height of that, and there was that game, obviously, where City destroyed them 4-2. But then, really at the, at the peak of that, Chelsea were, had suddenly started struggling a bit. Terry was obviously under huge personal pressure. Then there's that game where, of course, he scores the winner against Burnley, and of course, it's a header. And there were a lot of those moments. There were a lot of those moments, and that that is a good point, actually. I hadn't thought about the fact that he weighed in with some really important goals. Influential at both ends of the pitch. It seemed to be good for five or six a season, which is kind of Ramos levels of goal scoring for those ten years ahead. How do you roll around your head measuring centre-backs against forwards in in this regard? Because obviously... Yeah, you want to go with trophies. You can't help but go a little bit statistically. And obviously, <laughs> I know, yeah. one thing is much easier to measure than the other statistically. Ultimately, goals will give you the extra two points. Defences yeah. will preserve your one. Mm. Yeah. Maybe it's a bit... <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. It's just part of the game, isn't it? When yeah. you choose to be a defender, I'm afraid that's the price you're paying. You're not going to win the personal award. Well, one thing on centre-backs is, <laughs> fairly or unfairly, when I, when I remember them, I, I think about how much fear they instilled when, yeah. I, when, I was com- when my team was coming up against them. Yeah. And Vidic was the one that I was genuinely terrified of. Like, I, I would, before the game, I think there's absolutely no chance that we're going to find a way around this guy. Not necessarily Terry. Mm. Which... I'm not saying that it should be ahead of him because I think longevity also has a factor. But these these are the top two, mm. and I don't think Ferdinand I ever felt scared of him. In yeah, that, in yeah. Regard, in the way that I did against Terry or Vidic. Yeah, you knew any any team knew they had a battle. It's, that's a good kind of almost another guide for this whole list as well. And that when you saw these players and you have like how you, how you perceived them if you had to play against them, mm. how much fear they instilled in you. And you know, with, with Terry, you knew you were going to get a battle. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, that brings us into number six. We're rattling towards the top five. Another battle, pa- Patrick Vieira. Uh, and because again, again, I suppose some, a lot of this list has come down to almost being parsed out among the great the great teams of the era. And Vieira was when it was in was really the heartbeat of three great title winning teams. Yeah. Um, I, I, and actually, he, he was I, the one thing about him as well. He's quite constant as a force. He, I suppose, he kind of re- remains relatively the same as a player throughout that throughout ninety eight. Where I mean, I, I do particularly remember him in that run in because Arsenal had been good that season, but they hadn't. They still only kind of bubbling under. Then it was that spring in 1978 when they really took off. And I think Vieira must scored about two, three goals that run. And I remember one of them was like a brilliant a, a surge forward and a shot into the top corner. I think it was against Blackburn. Um, and, and that was, he just, he just gave all of Wenger's sides, who, and let's not forget, were often seen, particularly in some of those matches against Manchester United, that could be a, a team to get at. Whereas Vieira always maintained that the power to the team while obviously offering a proper poise and control. Mm. He was such a, breath of fresh air I think mm. in the Premier League when it when he came through and everyone was about like who's this midfielder what's what's going on here and suddenly you know like you say yeah. the, the the main man for three separate title winning teams and uh, you know I think of that Arsenal and those sides and I think of Vieira the, the he's the very much the kind of pinnacle of what those sides were about and you know even now I think you find Arsenal fans being like we've never replaced. Yeah, yeah. The, you can play. You can measure a player's legacy by how long, how many years yeah. you pine for another of those afterwards. And Arsenal fans still want a Vieira. Yeah, yeah, it's which just means totally so true. Much. Yeah. Such a force. I think, yeah, is a force of nature in the middle of the park. And you know, you think of those great United Arsenal battles. Yeah, you think of Vieira and you think of all the things around that. And you think there's a player like him right now? Is there anyone you can think of that you would compare to Vieira? Hmm. I can't really. No, not really. I mean, because it, of his athleticism and his tenacity, like I can't see anyone with those. Well, actually, prime it, Sergei Milinkovic Savic. Yeah, maybe the goal that best sums up Vieira in that way is that one against Everton, which you know it was a powerful run to the middle, and yet still that kind of delicate chip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like there, there just aren't many players. But that you've got, both got to those mix elements. that with the with the defensive acumen that he had as well, yeah. and that kind of presence, and it's just really difficult. Yeah. Really, really difficult to find a player like that. List like this. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. it. I mean, it's a testament to how many greats yeah. you know mm. have, have played in the Premier League over time. So let's get into that top five. And, yeah, here we go. And really well, actually, good th- this one, they didn't really cross over too much at their absolute best, Vieira with Frank Lampard because mm. it was, and actually it was just when because Vieira left was it oh five? Yes, yeah. it was, and that was when Lampard was really coming into his peak as a player under under Mourinho, uh, and it, like he'd obviously had like a bit of a. A spell at West Ham as almost a different kind of sort of kind of incarnation of player, and then at Chelsea kind of became initially in the Mourinho the, the complete modern midfielder really. And I, I mean, again, it's such a, it seems such a simplistic thing to look at, but it, it's so pronounced that you can't avoid it. it the, his goal return was absolutely yeah. incredible. 
Yeah. yeah, like 20 a season in all competitions, right? Like, yeah, and 15 like, of them were deflected. <laughs> he did love deflected goals, but... Right place, right time. Yeah, exactly. You know, he used to make the same run. We still name that run, don't we? That Frank mm. Lampard runs the box. It's that timed run. Yeah. Again, he's got, he's got a, a, a part of a legacy in that a certain action on a pitch that he did over and over again that you couldn't stop is named after him in a way. Yeah, yeah. And that's another thing as well. When a player becomes so known for one move, and you just say... You still can't do anything about it. I mean, like another classic being the one of his teammates, uh, the, the Robin cut yeah. inside and curler, uh, and Lampard almost had it. And I suppose that comes down to um, it comes down to instinct almost and just nature uh, rather than oh, yeah. possibility. Yeah, yeah. being able to you know a football brain. There is. I mean, the Mourinho that we see these days as well was nothing in comparison to the Mourinho yeah. that Lampard had right then, who was the best man manager in football at the time and completely changed the game in that sense. There's the famous story about when Lampard was in the shower at Chelsea and he's there showering and, Lam- and Mourinho walks in and just says to him, you are the best player in the world. And Lampard talks about mm. it and says, obviously it was a very strange moment, but it was almost seems like a moment that changed his thinking yeah. and changed his um, ego, if you like, to believe that he was that kind of player. And now Mourinho... Goes around belittling people rather than bigging yeah, up most yeah, of the yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> He's changed, obviously. But back then, Mourinho built players like Lampard, and Lampard owes, basically owes him his career because of, of the way that he was able to yeah. lift him to a level that I didn't ever think would have been possible when he joined Chelsea. Mm. Well, I mean, there's the famous interview, isn't he, at West Ham? Where yeah, yeah. Like, what about Scotty Cannon? And, and, and look, the fact that you don't know who that name is, I imagine most of our listeners... Yeah, apart from that. <laughs> you know, aside from that thing, it is, is testament to, you know, the belief that was in him, but also his ability to actually raise himself out of that mire and, and into yeah. stratospheres above it. And, you know, I, I think it's probably worth bringing up now that there's obviously going to be this eternal Gerard Lampard debate yeah. and it will rage forever but I, I guess not in this list yet. I, 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 I might say he's not in it at all oh yeah. Yeah. And, and that purely comes down to uh, show us your medals uh, yeah. I, I think if it is a Premier League Hall of Fame it's, you, you, I think you've got to have won it almost <laughs> uh, well, yeah. like, no, that's probably gone a bit far because you're overlooking kind of players with impact at certain clubs but yeah, but we're talking top. We're talking. Yeah, top five, we're, top we're talking top eight. Yeah, yeah. That's true. If you've played at a club like Liverpool for that long yeah. and not won the Premier League, yeah. then it is going to go against you. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. Yeah. Obviously, we're talking about Mourinho and and what he was there. If he had signed Gerrard in the way that he wanted, and you know, in the, in the case that so nearly came through. Yeah. People forget how close I think that yeah. was to actually happening. Yeah. Then, then maybe we talk about Steven Gerrard. We, we would talk about Steven Gerrard in this list. I mean, I think I'd probably yeah. have him. I think I'd probably have him in there. No. Just based on what he brought to a side that was struggling, but you know, parameters are parameters, and your yeah. list is different. But if he had signed there, then perhaps he would be sitting in your list. Yeah, yeah, I, I well believe, like, to be honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially top ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he, he was just outside, um, just yeah. outside. We're heading right. into the big guns now. Okay, yeah. You haven't said my favourite player of all time yet. Oh, but is it number four is. Eric Cantona. There he is. My favourite player of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said it now. Um, he had to be coming. Yeah. Uh, but the, the obvious thing that people have gone about was transformation to Manchester United, all of that. But I actually think what really, when you, when you go back to his career and look at it, I, I, I did a piece on it recently in, in relation well, to the whole... I have done a piece on recently. Well, <laughs> <laughs> in, in, That's in, a lot. Yeah, in, in relation to the, the, the Crystal Palace incident. But yeah. then obviously the aftermath of that. And what really stands out with Cantona, I think, is that I don't think there's been a running player like him. Particularly in 95, 96, yeah. when he was, there was so, United had something like six, actually, I, I should get those stats up because I've got them here. Um, 
Yeah, the night he was, he, he was absolutely. Yeah, it, the amount of one nil wins United had where he scored it was Spurs, Newcastle, Arsenal, different ranges of goals. I mean, we're talking about the, the ultimate clutch player. In it that really way. was. It was. It just became a thing. It was like I'm going to watch Man United weekend. It'll be one nil Cantona. Like, yeah, that that was just how it was, and and he just set them apart in that in that time when they were a good team. The comparison. I would, would make with people who are young and didn't... Well, I was going to say, I never watched Cantona. I'm too young. You have to probably give me a case, because if I look at Eric Cantona, right, and I look at his six seasons yeah. in the Premier League, I look at... Five league titles. That's impressive. Mm. But six, nine, 18, 12, 14, titles, 11 right? goals. Look at Matt Letizia's goal record. 15, 25, 19, 7, 13, 11, in a far weaker team mm-hmm. with far worse players around him did it by himself in a very similar from what we were saying. generation, mate. You're looking at yeah. stats. And against that, well, well, and to give a stat, in, in, I've got it here now, finally. So that 95-96 season, with, with the crowning moment of it being the 1-0 against Newcastle, that was one of nine games where Cantona scored the decisive goal, sometimes the equaliser, more often than not, the winner. Winner. Five of those, five of those games are one nil wins. With four of them coming in the last ten games. So we, we, we are talking. If, if you, if, if you want to run in, yeah, yeah, player for the run in. So you think like back then, most teams played four four two, and yeah. Cantona was your target man, and then he was just teeing up whoever was around yeah. him, whether it's Gig, whether it's Mark Hughes, whether it's whoever's playing around him at that side. In terms of what he brought to the club, United at the time were kind of like how Liverpool were um, before Van Dijk arrived. Yeah. So they were a big club. They were a good team. They weren't a winning team, and Cantona brought authority, he brought the ability, and he brought the mentality that turned them into the best club of the next 20 years. And so that kind of, that's the comparison I could make in terms of, like, the mind and the the, the kind of body that, that Van Dijk's brought to Liverpool. But it's so much more than that, because Cantona, like, he was a big, big bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had the touch of, like, Messi. It was unbelievable. Like the little flicks he had, the way that he could bring a ball down. You're basically describing like Zlatan style. He was like, yeah, yeah, he, he was, was yeah, very yeah, similar yeah. to Zlatan. He yeah. was very similar yeah. to Zlatan. Um, and I was actually at the game when he when he kung fu kicked the fan. I was at that match. That was Dean. Um, <laughs> and do you know what? That was quite a scary night. Like, really? I was, I was, like, there was, I was there was aggression young, on it. Yeah, yeah. I was a young kid. And I saw the other day people comparing like when Eric Dyer went into the stands and oh, saying, yeah. "Oh, it's like the Cantona moment." That was not like the yeah. Cantona moment because. It was so fiery in that yeah. second, and everyone was riled by it. And they're like, "What's he done? Like, he's actually assaulted someone instantly." <laughs> wait, wait, wait. The it police is, are yeah. here. It's insane when you actually look at it's it. It's crazy yeah. what happened. It's crazy. And like, we won't get into the ins and outs of, mm. of like what was said and whether. Yeah, know. but, but the thing, I mean, the context of the guy he did it to and yeah. what was said to him. Rather than take away from Cantona, you have this big spoiling mark, but it's become kind of, it's only added to his mythos because he didn't just, you know, attack a random fan. He didn't. Something... Exactly. Did his temper mean he didn't put him any higher in this list and like the fact that he did that? No. The only reason he wasn't higher, I think, because maybe this is a little harsh, but he played in a lesser quality Premier League era. Yeah. And like, I mean, no, again, you just have to nothing go... you could do about that, yeah. but that's the yeah. way it was. It's hard to shake when you go back and you look at these highlights and these goals. The pitches are an absolute mess. <laughs> like, it, the aesthetic is completely yeah. different and it, yeah. does, it, it does hammer it home. And it is you. hard to judge players from different eras, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. We've got to our top three. Obviously, there are only going to be two people inducted next week <laughs> on March the 19th, but I think this is the, the point where, you know, we really start to dig into yeah. these people. So who have you got at three? We're judging you now, mate. Number three, Ryan Giggs. Okay, uh, and this really is one about the numbers and longevity. Yeah, um, and also, and I suppose as well, also the number of different versions of Ryan Giggs there was. 
which is, <laughs> I suppose, if you're going to last for almost 20 years, it's going to be the case. But it was, it was incredible. I mean, first of all, you've got kind of the sprightly winger. Um, then, then there was a while when he was, when he became kind of almost a, a number 10 figure, especially in Europe. I suppose that's not relevant to here. Then I think it's often forgotten the trouble he had with injury in 97, 98, where there were a lot of fears that his hamstrings could actually possibly destroy his career. Uh, or not destroy his career, but take away what made him so good. Then um, comes back again, the, the, um, a, a better winger player, more complete. Then move, moves into almost midfield at United, where he and becomes a controller, almost, almost goals like. I mean, if you, if you compare gigs, say, to um, sorry, late early gigs to latter gigs, I think one of his standout moments was in the Manchester derby in September two thousand nine, the 95th minute. Owens finished, obviously, whatever, whatever everyone remembers. But Giggs' outside of the pass ball was, was skulls like for that. Yeah. It, it, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. The vision out of nowhere. I've got well. two memories of Ryan Giggs in two different areas. I've got like shaggy haired, hairy chested Ryan Giggs scoring that goal against yeah. Arsenal. In the FA Cup. In the yeah. FA Cup, blitzing the left wing and, and, hit, and smashing it into the corner. And a sort of greyer haired, short haired <laughs> Ryan Giggs patrolling the middle. You can't get near him. He's yeah. one second ahead of you the entire time. Yeah. Those memories are. Fifth, like potentially fifteen years apart. Yeah, yeah years exactly. Apart. Yeah, he's yeah. at the top of the top of the game in each. Yeah, instance. my favourite gigs was definitely the like seventeen, eighteen year old yeah. gigs because he used to he'd get the ball. He was so left footed, barely ever mm. touched the ball with his right foot. It was literally for standing on, and he would just run and dribble and swerve between people. He would use his body. The ball wouldn't actually yeah. move. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, and he would just move his body, and the the players would be falling over and the ball has actually <laughs> yeah. moved. It's just that his body, he's just the tripped faints. everybody. Yeah, his yeah, faints yeah. were just unreal. It, it was almost like he was floating as well. As you say, it was if he was, you didn't really need to touch the ball but the ball was going at the same speed he was. Absolutely. It was, it was, yeah, and his pace was unreal. Um, his crossing was brilliant yeah. and, and back then when he first broke through, of course, crossing was a major part of the game. Yeah. Um, which, two, two strikers in the box. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, his delivery uh, another, was unreal. Another vintage moment like a gigs cross just days before the Cantona kick when Cantona, another clutch Cantona goal he got the winner against Blackburn in the title race, uh, late goal from a brilliant gigs cross uh-huh. that was just basically just begging to be headed. Yeah, absolutely. That. And, and, he, and he, got, he got that cross because he was a Henningberg, he challenged a brilliant side and tackle. Yeah. And he just immediately gets up and whips the ball in. Yeah. I think maybe Ferguson even said this himself, but Giggs was as responsible as anyone for basically just ensuring that what the manager wanted went in the dressing room yeah. and ensuring that everyone rose to a certain level. Yeah, absolutely. That's sort of Wayne Rooney actually, or no, it was Carrick, uh, we interviewed him last week at the uh, Pro Licence uh, course and he was talking about that story when when he first got to United and like they were winning, I think it was either 2-0 or 2-1 against Watford away. This was one of his first games and he just arrived from Spurs. And going, if we, this was the Spurs dressing room, uh, this would be great. We were coasting, good away win, lads. Yeah, Ferguson came in and absolutely volleys him because how poor the performance was. But he, he, he particularly goes for gigs. Almost, almost as a lesson as well to, to the other players there. Because uh, I suppose he knew Giggs could handle it, um, but Giggs started having a few goes back. But then, and then apparently, Carrick spoke about how it got really aggressive. And then, just as Ferguson's leaving, he just turns around to Giggs and goes, "I don't talk like, like that to your granddad again." <laughs> <laughs> again, like some part of man management when you get it right, like, yeah. you just can't beat it. Who's above him then? Yeah. Thierry Henry. I mean, th- this is a player that definitely was. I should have actually led with the, the description first. A player that definitely was the best player for his team for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, Henri. And I, I think, good as Vieira was, I think it's really by a distance still. I just, I mean, 
I think I, I agree. I'm just really proud of you for your objectivity here as an Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I was waiting for someone to drop it. Like, I mean, oh, do we have to? <laughs> yeah. He's only basing it on Premier League. So yeah, he's not exa- talking exactly, about anything exactly, outside yeah. of the international football. Yeah. I've, I've got my rationale for it. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, um, yeah, he, he was. But also, I think in that era, I mean, obviously, we, we mentioned with Cantona earlier. Uh, where the Premier League was growing in profile and in diversity, uh, and it had gone up to an international level. Yeah, even when Henri first came in, it probably still wasn't absolute top level in the Spain in the way that Spain still was at that time, and Italy was, but was just starting to decline. So it, it didn't have too many kind of Ballon d'Or level players, mm. but Henri was undeniably one of them. And and, and you know, there's even the argument about whether he was maybe the best player in the world going into the 2002 World Cup. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal became invincible because of Thierry Henry that mm. that season. He was just unreal. And I think it was his best season. I think yeah. he found it. You were never really going to get anyone live up to that kind of standard again. And if you were to compare him to someone, Kylian Mbappe is an obvious one. And yeah. I think it's fair. His runs are almost identical to the ones Henri used to make. His finishing is very similar. He opens up his body in the same way. He goes in behind defences in the same way. Yeah. And he started off as a winger and he turned into a striker. And... The way that he finished things was just unreal. He could, he could produce things for himself. There's a goal against Man United where he kind of chips it, swerves and volleys it yeah. into the far corner. Over Bartes, I think it was. Unbelievable goal. Um, and then there's the other ones where he would just do little dinks mm. or just sell the keeper one way and slot it. Penalties, whatever it was, you could just count on him through those years. And Arsenal will probably never see someone like that yeah. again for them. It was, it was also probably f- five years at least five years or half a decade of really world-class output as well. And I don't think there's too many that can match it, particularly not forwards. Yeah. Even Ronaldo, who obviously doesn't get into this list because of... Um, the regulation. Yeah. <laughs> he, he really had three seasons of that in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, even, and even maybe mar- marginally dropped in his last season. Um, yeah. where, interesting, actually, because yeah. where would Ronaldo rank? Because of that fact, like yeah. you say, he, he didn't have that many... By the end, obviously, he mm. was amazing. He took a couple of years He took to a get couple going. of years where he'd do a lot of step-overs and just literally run out of pitch and he just was end a bit up on an advertising like, board. I used to find him quite amusing to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, he was. Because he was so self-centred. He was a bit of a joke. Yeah, um, yeah it, especially to begin with. It's, yeah. it's a hell of a transformation for him. But, when he used to have the little blonde twiggy highlights in his hair and just run it out of play constantly. Yeah. Yeah. But Henri would still rank, you know, yeah. if, if say Ronaldo was retired right now, yeah. I still think you'd have Henri ahead of him. Well, this thing, I'd say as a forward, and maybe as a Premier League player overall, I'd say Ronaldo's 7 8 season was better than anything we've seen. Especially, 40, especially 42 odd goals. Yeah, and especially because of what it achieved as well. Yeah. But I think, so I think that's the highest level we've seen, but I think Henri had a more consistent higher level. It didn't quite get to that peak, yeah. but, you know, if you, you know, average it out. close, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and for a longer period. A longer period. To go back yeah. to something Sam said earlier um, about players that you were absolutely terrified of. Yeah. And Henri, for, for me, was the scariest. When Fulham used to line up against Arsenal, I used to see Henri there in the gloves. Gliding. And he'd be like... Gliding in off the left It's bank. almost like, how many is he going to score today? It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't like a. And, and bear in mind, at this point, Fulham were a good top seven, eight Premier League yeah. team. We, you know, it wasn't like it was last year in the Premier League where Fulham were getting battered every week. This was a decent side that often beat United, at, yeah. uh, especially at Craven Cottage. That often beat the big teams. But you'd look at Henri and you'd be like, Nah, not happening today. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And again, another player that you knew what was coming because you knew nothing about yeah. it. That, yeah. And it's amazing, it's amazing how many. How many keepers were just done by that finish? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Just so many times. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are going to be thinking right now, they're like, 
there's no players left. Who are they? <laughs> so that's, that's the thing. I mean, my, coming into this, I had a top three, and it was it was Henri and Giggs and Shearer, who you have in ninth. Yeah. I've, got, I've got your second and your third and your ninth. So where are we going with number one? Right. Number one. I thought, see, I thought this was where you might say about national bias. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think it's because of just how much he psychologically dominated both his team and the opposition sides. And ultimately, he was the most important player for a series of title winners. So I think that that's pretty truer of this player than anyone else. So it's uh, And for more titles. So Roy Keane. And there's a classic story that um, from Ian Wright where like I mean I think this just sums up the kind of just how much Keane just completely consumed the Premier League and kind of how much he he was the standard really, which is when um, they they had apparently played before and Keane basically taking the piss out of him and saying like you know where's your where's your, where's your winners medal right where's your mid- winners medal. And so on the day at the end of the 97 and 98 season, when Roy finally gets one, he basically seeks out a camera and shouts into it, Kino, I've got a winner's medal. <laughs> and of course, that's just the, I mean... He's playing on his mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, and I have that winner's medal, you could even argue, because that was one of the seasons when, and, and it's amazing how much this often just coincides, it was a season where Keane was missing for the majority of the season through a cruciate injury, and United did him in the title. Yeah. Um, so he, he comes back, they immediately win three in a row. Uh, and I mean, he's just the the force of Keane was I- I- incredible. Yeah, I mean, he had a will to succeed, unlike anyone I've ever seen play football. Yeah, he was unreal. He was he was pretty horrible. He was a vicious person, and his yeah. leadership qualities probably would be deemed illegal in some dressing rooms these days. The way Industrial he, bullying. Yeah, yeah. You would be done for it these days. Yeah. But it was a level of nastiness that you actually needed back then. And it, you've got to remember, it, well, especially when he came through like um, in the mid-90s yeah. w- with United and he took over the armband from Eric Cantona. Um, he lifted expectations at United. He kept them so yeah. high and he would not lo- let them slip at any cost. Roy Keane was the best midfielder in the world yeah, while he yeah. was playing, wasn't he? Yeah. They, they were, they is there a modern close. day equivalent for people listening that didn't watch Roy Keane? Is there a player it, who, or a couple of players maybe, you know, that's a kind, I, a kind of figure he was, that you I, might need more than one player to show how important he was in the middle. I, I thought in terms of engine, um, at least, SEM was, was similar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, geez, I, I've seen people compare him to Kante and I think, well, Kante, in the sense that he covers every inch of grass, yeah. like Keane used to do that. And But Keane could pass, yeah. he could head it, he could tackle, he would score goals when you needed them as well. And he had, he, he was just had a bit more about his all-round game than Kante, and he obviously was a more horrible person yeah. than, than Kante. A little bit the aura of Daniele De Rossi in, in some regards. Bit, yeah. so you, like, you need the aggressive streak to use. So between 95 and 2001, six years, the only title United didn't win was the one where Keane was injured, and out for the season. And even in between that as well, yeah, I mean, I think that injury was key as well, not just for that season, but in terms of the transformation of Keane, because he went from this kind of all-action, running-everywhere midfielder mm-hmm. but w- to one who became a properly continental, really complete player. Yeah. And like, I think it's often underrated how good his passing was. His passing was good, yeah. yeah. Hey, um, it's because it's such a dominant trait will take over everything mm. that you analyse yeah, about yeah. a player. I do yeah. think the, the reason for a lot of people Keane won't come as high as he has in, in Miguel's list he did take it too far too often and the way he would 
tackle people. I mean, everyone will look at the Haaland challenge as, as one that everybody will have seen at some point on YouTube, I guess. The other Haaland, yeah. not Erling. Yeah, yeah. Da- 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 Erling Haaland's dad, da- Ralph Inga da- Haaland, da- was yeah. taken out by a knee-high Roy King tackle, um, which has become kind of like... Cult, almost. And, and the, yeah. the flip side of that moment is, I mean, he did that, really, because of the moment that actually cost him that year, uh-huh. which was when, in, in a game against Leeds in 97, 98, in September, he went. He was having a bit of a running battle with Haaland, ch- stupidly chased after him and did his own cruciate. Well, thank you to Miguel for that. Don't go anywhere because coming after the break is a fully stocked bleach roulette and, as always, Sam's famous nonsense ranking. Welcome back, Rank Squad. Abandon reason, abandon rhyme. Hold on to your hats. It's roulette time. Nobody loses. We all get to win. Dean, start us off. Give her a spin. Okay, your current favourite for the Champions League, Jesper M33. Now, I know, Dean... That you don't like anyone in this year's Champions League. I wouldn't be against that. It's it's bad. It's so bad. I I watched a lot of games at the weekend. And the only teams I was actually impressed with were Chelsea. (laughs) Which hasn't been the case for a long time. And Bayern Munich. Like everyone else, whether it was Liverpool, whether it was Juve, whether it was Barcelona, Real Madrid. Like nobody seems to be taking this season and making it theirs. I mean, I mean obviously yeah. it's Liverpool's year. I, I totally get that. But they've gone off the boil a little bit and now they've got injuries so they're having to just get through games at the moment. Um, I'm sticking with Juventus just because I've said it since we did our pre-season yeah, prediction. Why change? They're 1-0 down, yes. But, I mean, I've, I've just got to stick with them because they've got Ronaldo and they're a pretty good team. <laughs> if no one else is convincing you, why change? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I haven't seen anything to convince me that there's one team nailed on yeah. to win the Champions League and I couldn't tell you who even deserves it yeah um, City maybe just because I mean they've been obviously not been great in the league they've been a, lot, a level off but I wonder is it going to be one of those seasons where a team looks very different in Europe because they've got a sense of mission about them in that sense the prospective ban could actually psychologically help them and it was very impressive. But on all or nothing. Yeah. In all the series yeah, it yeah. is all or nothing. Yeah exactly, exactly. Um, and I was in the game in Madrid where they won 2-1 uh, and I, I I think what was particularly impressive with that from just a pure team point of view was that for the first hour, especially when Madrid went 1-0 up through an error, or through a series of errors, it looked like this is the same old city in the Champions League, done again, and they really responded well, and by the end of the game, we're like in full command. Mm. Uh, I think if they can hit their best level, which I think they possibly can in the Champions League, they'll win it. Which would be a controversial story in itself. Lovely. Yeah, They'll love that on City Twitter. I'll cut that up for you. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel the need to change from Liverpool and just I'll just call it a blip. Call it a little bit of a rough patch. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I, don't I, think I, I did give I did give Atletico Madrid absolutely zero chance of winning this game before before it was played and yeah, they did win the first leg 1-0. And obviously with Alisson probably out of the uh the, the return leg, obviously we record this week, so the timings are a bit dodgy, but um, yeah, I don't really see a reason to, to leave Liverpool. And if I did, I would say Bayern Munich because they are the only team that I watch and think, oh, you've got a plan. Yeah. Well, honestly, <laughs> I, I don't know what Hansi Flick's come in and done there, but well, a, a little bit. But in terms of actually what he's offered and what Bayern looked like compared to what they looked like in September. And we were saying this off air the other day that if you'd said to me in September when they played the yeah. Super Cup against Dortmund that Bayern would be probably the strongest team in Europe come February, March... Mm. I would have laughed at you. But yeah, yeah. here we are, and at the moment, they look in full control. The kind of cover note I would make on that is, if I'm Atalanta, I'm looking at the Champions League going, come on, then. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Come on, then. Why well, not? The city of Europe. Well, literally, because it. you know everything we say about these, aside from Bayern Munich, who I still think could lose to someone just based on you know out of nowhere, yeah. you know, just randomly lose to City or yeah. Real Madrid. margins at a top level. Absolutely, yeah. I think Atalanta have got to be looking at this and going. Not really that scared of anyone. Mm. You know, we they score more the same goals. That Ajax had last season, which which mm. should have taken them to the final. We score more yeah. goals than pretty much anyone else. Yes, we're a little bit suspect at the back, but you know, games are being played in front of empty stadiums at, at the moment. It's all a bit. We're just going to distort things in itself. I think, yeah, especially yeah. given so much in the Champions League and if, with Anfield being a classic example, yeah. and, and which is wrapped into here, yeah, right? exactly, and which is wrapped into the atmosphere of it, what yeah. that does to teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, that Barca Napoli game. Yeah, like, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, we great. record on Tuesday, by the way. So by the time you listen to this, Valencia would have won 4-0. Yeah, my point will be relevant. I think the point still stands. Even point, if Atlanta are out, the point is valid. The, like, point, the point stands for Leipzig in the same vein. Yeah, why, yeah. why not at this point? Crack everyone on. looks so fragile. Absolutely, mm. right. Let's give it another spin. 13, unlucky for some. Okay, this is from Nikola Angelkovic. I really apologise if I've butchered your name. <laughs> you probably haven't. Should Chelsea play Billy Gilmore even when everyone is fit? Sam, I know this is a cause close to your heart. Yeah, I want to see it over a, over a longer span and that would obviously mean continuing to play him because then you can figure it out and they probably need to know exactly how good Gilmore is and how well equipped he is to play in the first team ahead of the summer yeah. because it will shape what they do in their business. Has he been at either of his games? Uh, I was at the uh, Liverpool game uh, and I, uh, there was a slight investment here because I, uh, this is a little, a little bit of a name drop. But about four years ago, I went to a youth tournament near Paris and we got talking to one of Barca's top European scouts and Gilmore wasn't there because Scotland weren't involved. It was an international one. And he, like, we got onto the subject of basically, you know, players in Britain or, or Ireland uh, who, who could, were anything like, like the level. And he said, the one player who we think in, in Britain that, could, that we'd want as a midfielder is Gilmore. Is that Barca? Oh. That, that was, this was 2016. Right, but so it's Barca. Fourteen, yeah, fourteen years. Yeah, old. and it's about, even then, like then the name is one of those things. The name has always stuck with me. Yeah, because of that. Yeah, yeah, uh, and he, he yeah, remember it. and he, he did say like we think he said at the time everyone in England wants him, we want him, uh, and I can't remember if he said whether he was going to Chelsea, but it wasn't too long Chelsea after. Chelsea did really well to get him. Didn't yeah, it? exactly. Half a million pounds for a fifteen-year-old when he signed from Rangers to sign for Chelsea, which is a lot of money for a fifteen-year-old. Look, it doesn't look yeah. like it now, obviously, given that he's walked, waltzed into yeah. the first team. Mm. And, and been very, very in control. But at the time, you think been like half a million for a fifteen-year-old. That's yeah. nuts. Based but on what you just said, how many people do you think are going to run in the summer that uh, Barcelona are trying to sign? <laughs> 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 yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll run for a while. I'll say. Yeah, yeah. Dean? But he's, he's actually exactly what Barcelona are missing at the moment. Yeah, no, he's very, yeah. very fluid, very nice, yeah. like. Just a, just a nice player. Like yeah, look, I think Frank Lampard has to play on feel-good factors at, at this mm. point because that's when Chelsea have been at their best, when there's players that are just high on confidence and fitting into a system. Eddie Everton game at the weekend, they completely overran them. Yeah. Everton, I don't know what they were playing they were awful. with their, with their formation. Really poor, yeah. And then in midfield, Ch- Chelsea just tore them apart and that, that was the game done. But um, you stick with it. You know, that yeah, yeah. Billy Gilmore in this kind of form, you just keep him going and... There's- Get those other players, mm. it will probably motivate them to play better when they're back in. It's quite funny, like the, the tactical synopsis of each manager of the Premier League at the end of the season. When you come to Frank Lampard, it will be when they hit a dip that he tried another youth. Yeah, player. yeah. Every true. time they run a they run a, a, a short of results, so you're like, right, <laughs> which seventeen year old can I play now? <laughs> Basically, yeah. literally, what happens? And they just they perk up again. It's yeah. awesome. Still a few more to come in. There's as like, well. been eight already. Well, my wife, I've got ten in my hands. Yeah. eight already this season, hasn't there? Yeah, eight, eight Premier products. League debuts from Academy. Products. Amazing, <laughs> which is yeah, pretty mad. 
There you go, Sam. What's in the bag this week? So I actually had something really, really good planned with regards to football TV pitches, but I read it to Sean, uh, made a good point, is that Miguel, like, you, you might genuinely be the only man in this industry that takes as much flack, or perhaps even <laughs> more than me. In fact, your Twitter mentions column may actually look more nuclear than mine. <laughs> so we wanted to start a, a conversation about the biggest types of troll on social media. So Sean said, like, who were the, what are the biggest three types or you know, the most aggressive? Mm. And while I was trying to figure it out, it sort of struck me that actually they fall into three really clear categories and they're all player-led. So just contra- oh, yeah. contrast this with, with your experiences. So at number three, and this is not as much of a problem now because he's left Chelsea, but anybody, any Chelsea fan with an Eden Hazard profile picture on Twitter <laughs> was vicious. Right? <laughs> and that... that that actual that convoy of people has actually converted themselves into a set of people who now have a picture of Mason Mount with a red X mm-hmm. through his face. I don't understand well, that, any of it. But that that yeah. happens. Like, there are people out there with yeah. red X's through Chelsea posts. Some of them are Jorginho. The, those people really like Sarri. They're the ones that hate Mount. And then the ones that do like Jorginho uh, like Sarri. Mm-hmm. So it'll be a picture of him smoking or a picture of Jorginho. It, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And Chelsea have been, I think, the most toxic fan base on Twitter for the last two years, which is a pretty serious achievement considering right. Liverpool are around. Right on the FFP. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, number two is uh, the Salah fan. Um, I've had multiple semi-serious death threats from Salah fans, um, mm. mostly because I leave him out of like team of the, team of the year or, or an all-star Premier League team team like basically or complete fi- theoretical like stuff. Theoretical, yeah, theoretical and fictional stuff that will never happen. And yeah, I wake up the next morning and uh, what? That's me off Twitter for twenty-four hours. <laughs> the Salah fans, they really back their man. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, he has brilliant PR. He doesn't have to pay for it. Mm. <laughs> uh, and then number one, it, it has to be. I'm going to conjoin them. It's the Messi Ronaldo vibe. Yeah, yeah. Because and you don't even have to post about them nowadays. No. Have you seen the state of BR footballs mentions? Yeah. No matter what is what is going most on. Days, yeah. You could, post, you could post something about Harry Kane, and the first ten replies will just be like pictures of Messi and Ronaldo and and. and what, what, what are these people going to do when they retire? I don't know. Which isn't too far off. I want to know what these people off. do every Anyone. day. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do they have like? Are they really good at coding? And have this stuff like set up so it just posts every because it's a media as well. Mm, like they yeah. will post a thing of just some stadiums. Yeah. And, like these are nice stadiums, aren't they? And suddenly yeah. there's like fifteen comments. Like half of them will have like like you say big X's through Ronaldo. Half of them will have like Messi with a bottle on his back. Yeah. There's all sorts of things yeah. going on, but it's it's really quite toxic in there. There was a good yeah. one actually the other day I saw, which someone had put an eleven, a like a Barcelona eleven. Um, and every single player in the eleven that Messi had played with had won an international trophy except him. So every player's <laughs> face is replaced with the international trophy they've won. So Semedo's <laughs> obviously won yeah, the yeah. Euros. You've got like yeah. you've got PK. You've got MTT. Yeah. They've all won something. Even Ter Stegen's got a mm. Confederations Cup, and it's just a picture of Messi crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good content, yeah. but like it's now everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this this is the way. Every any time you tweet about something like that, it's just it's just game over. It's going to be Mbappe and Billy Gilmore in future. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that is us all wrapped for this week, and all that is left for me is, is say thank you. So much this lot firstly to Miguel Delaney how can the listeners follow the melodrama of your <laughs> online presence Twitter Miguel Delaney is there, it? We yeah, there we go uh, as ever thank you so much to <laughs> Dean Jones cheers mate and Sam Tai thank you mate I've been Jack Collins thank you so much for listening one last request for you get your phone out and send a mate who'd like this podcast a text or a Viber or a WhatsApp or a Facebook message I, I don't care really just one of them and tell them to have a listen subscribe and join the rank squad we're on Spotify Apple Stitcher YouTube you name it 
we're there. We'd massively appreciate it. And as we keep growing, we want more and more of you to get involved. Medal of the Week suggestions go straight to Dean Jones. We'll see you for Ranks FC at the weekend if you want to join us. Big love to the Rank Squad. Peace.